Well, I hope that at some point in your life, you have the pleasure of slipping on a big pair of puffy headphones and listening through the entirety of U2's album, The Joshua Tree. Oh my goodness, so good, so good. Yes, people, la- yes, clap for that. We're clapping for all sorts of things today. You can clap for U2. Um, from the delayed notes of the Edge's guitar riffs to Bono's voice full of conviction and doubt, the album is a masterpiece of spiritual longing. So many good songs. Uh, Where the streets have no name, in God's country, with or without you. But I, I think there's no song that captures the heart of that album and really the band U2 better than the one that our band just sang, which is I still haven't found what I'm looking for. It's a great song. It's on all sorts of lists of, of the best songs of, of rock and roll of all time. Uh, and the question is, why does it uh, resonate with so many people? Why does it connect with so many of us? And this is what I think. I think it's because we live in such a good world, a world that has so much to offer. It's an incredible, amazing place. There are physical pleasures and intellectual stimulation and rich relationships and meaningful work. And still, with all that, somehow, somehow, it just isn't enough. We search and we look and we long and we still can't find what we're looking for. You ever felt that feeling? Well, today we're going to be looking at a story in the Bible about a man who who was on a search. He was looking for something more than his life had to offer. And we're going to see what he found. This is the final week in our series uh, that we're calling From Small Talk to God Talk. And the idea behind the series is this. Uh, We spend a lot of time kind of on the surface of life, don't we? When we're talking with our coworkers and our neighbors and even friends and family, we tend to stay with the easy stuff, you know, the safe things like sports or a movie you saw or your kids' activities or something like that. And and that's all good stuff, but sometimes it's all we talk about, isn't it? We, We never dig into the deeper stuff what people believe and what their hopes are, what questions they have in life, and that uh, deeper spiritual longing that's underneath it all. And I understand why we avoid the deeper stuff, don't you? I mean, it it can be controversial. We're afraid that if we we go there, it's going to get tense, it's going to start a fight, and so we just kind of avoid it. Uh, Plus, it's vulnerable, you know? Spiritual things are are heart things. It it gets personal, and so that feels kind of risky to talk about. And, And so we stick to the small talk. But the thing is, it's, it's not really satisfying, is it? Because we really need the big talk. We even need the God talk. Because we all ask the big questions, you know, life and death and right and wrong and, and God and the meaning of the whole thing. Each of us has to figure out the answers to these questions because it shapes how we're going to live. We, we've got to figure it out. So it would be great if sometimes we could have some just real honest conversation about these things. And for those of us who are followers of Jesus, we think that God has actually said something about these questions. Now, we know we don't have all the answers, but we sure think that what God has said is life-changing, eternity-changing. And if it's true, and we think it is, it is too good and too important for us to keep it to ourselves. The the message of Jesus Christ has turned our lives upside down, and we want the people that we love to experience what we've experienced. And, And so we are eager and looking for ways to go from talking about ordinary things to talking about the most important thing, which is the good news of Jesus. And so for the last three weeks, that's what we've been talking about. How do we go from small talk to God talk? And mostly we've been talking about this from the perspective of a Christ follower who's looking for ways to uh, talk about Jesus. And we've been talking about this three-step process. Uh, We've got an acronym for it. It's NET, N-E-T. The N stands for notice. Uh, We get outside our little bubble and we, we keep our eyes open for what's going on in other people's lives. E is for engage. Uh, we, we start meaningful conversations. We ask good questions. We listen really well. Uh, we go to the deeper places. And T is for tell. 
We actually open our mouths and we say what we believe, talk about the good news that's changed our lives. And we've really been talking about this uh, from that perspective for the last three weeks, but this week I'd like to flip it on its head. And I'd like to talk about the experience of someone who is spiritually exploring, who's still trying to figure out what they think about God and Jesus and the whole thing. And so instead of talking about noticing, engaging, and telling today, we're going to talk about what it's like to be noticed, engaged, and told. And to do this, we're going to be looking at a story from the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 8. So if you have a Bible, you can go ahead and turn there. If you don't, you don't need to worry. We're going to put the words on the screen. The book of Acts is in the New Testament. Uh, Just after the uh, four biographies of Jesus, kind of towards the back, uh, after Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you find Acts. And Acts is a, a history of the early church. It describes the first few decades of the Christian movement as it grew from being a small uh, Jewish movement in the city of Jerusalem to being a large multicultural movement uh, that spread across the Roman Empire and beyond. And the story we're going to look at today is actually about one of the first people who wasn't Jewish to believe in Jesus. And actually, he's one of the first people who wasn't part of the Roman Empire to believe in Jesus. So we're going to look at this passage in Acts chapter 8, starting in verse 26. And I'm going to read the entire thing to you first, and then we're going to dig into some of the details. So let's read. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Go south to the road, the desert road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. And he started out, and on his way he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of the Kandike, which means the queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship. And on his way home, he was sitting in his chariot and reading the book of Isaiah, the prophet. The spirit told Philip, go to that chariot, stay near it. Then Philip ran up to the chariot and he heard the man reading Isaiah, the prophet. Do you understand what you're reading? Philip asked. How can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. This is the passage of scripture the eunuch was reading. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter. And as a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. The eunuch asked Philip, tell me, please, who's the prophet talking about? Himself or someone else? Then Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. As they traveled along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, Look, here's water. What can stand in the way of my being baptized? And he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away, and the eunuch did not see him again, but he went on his way rejoicing. Let's all give a big thank you to God for speaking to us in his word. This is the word of the Lord Thanks be to God. Well, the story starts with a guy named Philip. And I, but I don't really want to focus on Philip today. I want to focus on the man that he met, this Ethiopian official. We're going to look at the story from his perspective. And we're going to start by talking about what it means for him to be noticed. Because truth be told, he probably felt like he was being ignored, if not by God, at least by the people who represented God. And there, there are three big things worth noting about this man. The, the first is this. This guy was seeking. He was seeking. We meet him on the road that's headed out of the land of Israel uh, back to Ethiopia as he's leaving Jerusalem. Now you need to know it is a five-month journey from Ethiopia to Jerusalem, which means this guy spent five months going there, some time there, and five months going back. 
So you've got to ask yourself the question, what would make someone spend a year of their life traveling to Jerusalem? Verse 27 tells us, says that this man had gone to Jerusalem to worship. Now, you might be scratching your head. You might be saying, well, couldn't he, like, worship back in Ethiopia? Like, couldn't, isn't that a, a possibility? Like, why go to Jerusalem? Well, it's because Jerusalem was where the Jewish temple was. Uh, unlike most other religions at the time, uh, Judaism only had one temple, one center of worship. And you needed to go there if you really wanted to meet with God. It, it was the place where God's presence was manifested on earth. It was sort of like his house. So you could actually worship in your home or wherever you lived, but it would sort of be like texting with God, you know? It's, it's okay, but it's not the same thing. But uh, visiting the temple would be like sitting down for a meal with God. You know, you offer a sacrifice in the presence of God. So probably what had happened is this Ethiopian official had learned something about Judaism from, from some Jews who lived in his homeland. And for some reason, he was attracted to this God rather than the gods of his culture. And so he set out on this spiritual and physical journey to find this God he was seeking. Some of you here might be seeking. You're on a spiritual search. One of the things that I love about our church is that every single week, there are always people who are exploring and trying to figure things out. We love that here. Uh, my wife and I, we were leaders in a ministry called Alpha that we do here at the church. Uh, for a couple of years, we did this. It's a, a, a great place for people who are exploring. It's a casual environment where you get to explore the, the, the teaching of the Christian faith over uh, a meal, and you just discuss low-pressure kind of thing. It's a great place. And often, I, I think about the people who were at the, the tables that my wife and I were at, and, and the things that sparked their spiritual seeking. Uh, there was one guy who was afraid of death. He, he, just, he, he couldn't stand the thought that life was going to end, and he had to figure out uh, what could possibly be beyond it. There, there was a woman who was uh, in recovery, and she was looking for uh, what her higher power would be. Uh, there was a, a couple who started bringing their kids to church because they thought, well, we got to give our kids some morality, right? And along the way, they realized, ah, we think we need God too. And there, there was actually a woman who had a dream, and she thought, I think this might be from God. And so she was trying to check it out. I don't know about you, but you might be in a similar place. Something in your life has provoked you to start asking questions to explore. But what was it for this Ethiopian that sparked his search? Uh, we don't know exactly, but if we read between the lines, we might get some clues. We know that he was a wealthy, powerful, successful person. He was the secretary of the treasury for the queen of an entire country. So this guy's got a lot going for him. But he had also made some serious sacrifices to get where he was. Uh, he was a eunuch, which is like the super weird part of the story, isn't it? You know? Okay, I'm going to explain the eunuch thing. And guys, you can just squirm for the next couple of minutes because it's going to get weird, but you'll be okay. Um, in some ancient cultures, many government positions could only be held by castrated males. And when you hear that, you think, what in the world? That is horrible. And it was horrible, but it was also really practical. Uh, there are two practical reasons for doing this. Uh, the first was this. If the official worked closely with the queen or some royal women, uh, there was no chance that he was going to have an affair with them, uh, which, given many of our politicians, is probably a realistic concern, you know. Not sure that would pass in Congress, but, you know. The other and more important reason was that eunuchs were obviously prevented from having children. Uh, and in those days, political power was a hereditary deal. So if there was a powerful family in the government, over multiple generations, they could accumulate more wealth and more influence. And so when the king is thinking, who am I going to entrust with something important? He doesn't want to put someone who's going to be building a political dynasty that might rival his. And so he picks a eunuch. 
Now, you might hear that and think, that is so strange. I am so glad we don't do that anymore. But, but let me ask you this. Have you ever known someone whose career was so demanding that it made it hard for them to find a spouse or start a family? Have you ever known someone who sacrificed relationships because they were so set on pursuing their ambitions that they, they kind of lost some of these things? The, the kind of sacrifice the eunuch made is not all that far-fetched. But this is a guy who's given up a lot to be where he is. He really has uh, all his eggs in one basket. If he's going to find meaning and significance in life, it is going to have to come from his career in politics. He's going to have to be successful. And so I'm wondering, I don't know for sure, but maybe this man was seeking God because he had actually obtained the power and the wealth, and it didn't satisfy. It wasn't enough. He still hadn't found what he was looking for. I, I like what C.S. Lewis, the author of the Chronicles of Narnia and an Oxford professor, said about this. He observed that human beings are full of desires. We have lots of desires. But for each and every one of them, there is something in the world that can satisfy that desire. So we get hungry and food exists. We crave sex and sex exists. We want intimacy. We're lonely and relationships exist. And yet he observed, he said, there, there is at least one desire that doesn't seem to have anything in this world that will satisfy it. And this is what he said. If I find myself in myself, a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. It's an interesting thought, isn't it? Well, this Ethiopian feels this, and he's searching. But in his search, he is stuck. He is stuck. Uh, think about what he would have encountered when he went to Jerusalem. He is a, a cultural outsider. He is a black African, not of Jewish descent, and he's coming into Israel. Uh, he, because he was a eunuch, he was not allowed to come into the temple. He had to stay in the outer court, and there was nothing he could do that would make it so that he would be allowed to go any further than that. So when he got to Jerusalem, this Ethiopian eunuch probably would have felt like he was stuck on the outside. You can go this far and no farther. The, the sad thing, I think, is that many spiritual seekers today feel the same thing, or at least they expect to feel the same thing when they go to church. Maybe there's something in your life that makes you feel like you're on the outside in a setting like this. Uh, one time I met a man in the lobby of a church. I was teaching there and uh, someone was talking with him and he brought him up to me and said, hey, this guy's got a lot of questions. Could he talk to you? And I, I love to talk to people like that. And so I said, yeah, let's talk. And the man looked really uncomfortable uh, when he came up to me. He clearly felt out of place. Uh, I later learned that he had only ever been in churches that were very formal, uh, and he didn't know how to act because the, they had never really explained things to him, and so he was feeling uncomfortable in this setting. He didn't know if he should call me father or if he was overdressed or underdressed or, like, what he should do. And we started talking, and this guy, he was a, a really smart guy. He had lots of really good questions, uh, and the thing that was great about it was he actually cared about the answers. He wasn't just throwing things out there. He was really trying to figure things out. And a, a few minutes into the conversation, he says, hey, um, can we finish this outside? I, like, I, I really need to smoke. And when he said that, he looked at me like, okay, is this guy going to judge me? Like, he didn't know that there's no rules in the Bible about smoking, but he assumed, like, you're a religious person, so you're going to kind of look down on me for whatever this is. But we go out to the car, and uh, he, he gets his cigarettes, and we, he lights up, and we keep talking. And as he's talking, at certain points, he gets excited and animated, and, and every once in a while, a swear word would slip out, and he'd, he'd be like, oh, oh, I'm so, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry, you know? Like, feeling like he's got to censor himself before asking his question. And eventually, not in this conversation, but as I got to know him over the weeks and months to follow, I, I learned that there were other things in his life that made him really uncertain if he could ever be welcomed by God or by God's people. Uh, he had a, a complicated sexual past. He even had a criminal record. And it, it made him feel kind of ashamed. 
But here's the thing. He had these burning spiritual questions, and he just had to get some answers. And so he went even to an uncomfortable place. There are lots of people who have that same sort of feeling, something in their life that they feel like, you know what, uh, if I go to church or if I'm around religious people, they're not going to accept me, and I, I just can't do that. And so they feel stuck. And unlike this guy, they can't work up the gumption to just go and do it. Or, or they do, and they, they try church once, and it's overwhelming, and uh, it, it confirms their fears, and they're, they're, they're done. They don't do it again. It's not that they're not interested in spiritual things or God. They, they, they just feel like the people who represent God are holding them at arm's length. If you have ever experienced that here at Christ Community Church, I want to say, I'm sorry. Uh, we never want it to be that experience for someone. Uh, we don't think someone needs to be of a certain cultural background. We don't think someone has to have things all figured out. They don't have to have their life in, in, in some night, uh, neat package to come and explore to be a part of our church. Uh, we want to clear every barrier we can for people to come and seek God here. And so if you've experienced anything that stood in the way, I'm sorry. The, the reason that we are so eager to clear barriers for people is because we believe something really important about people who are seeking God. If someone is seeking God, they are being sought by God. Uh, look at the situation with this Ethiopian. He is returning from Jerusalem. He's feeling stuck. He's reading the Bible and feeling confused about what it says. And he's probably thinking, God, do you even want me to know you? But what he could not see was what was going on in the background. Uh, look at how this passage emphasizes divine intervention. This is not some random conversation that just happened to take place. We are told that an angel of the Lord sent Philip. We're told that the Spirit told him to go to the chariot. God is directing and setting up this situation. It is not just that the Ethiopian is seeking God. God is seeking the Ethiopian. And this is how Jesus talked about God. Jesus described God in his stories. He would say, God is like a shepherd who's lost his sheep. And he roves around the countryside and he looks until he finally finds the sheep and he carries him home. And he's so glad that he found him. Where he says God is like a, a woman who, who lost a coin, this precious coin, and it's somewhere in the house. So she flips all of the furniture and looks everywhere and sweeps the whole home until she finally finds the coin. And she rejoices when she finds it. He says God is like a father with a runaway son. The son has rejected him and gone away. And every single day the father stands and looks out at the horizon for any sign of his son returning. And then finally, when he sees his head peak above the horizon, he sets out on a sprint, running after him to embrace him in his arms, so glad that his son has returned. This is what God is like. This is how God feels about you. He is not passively waiting for you to find him. He is actively pursuing you. He is putting people and situations in your life to get your attention. He is calling to you. You might not see it right now, but it is happening. If you are seeking God, I promise you, God is seeking you. God has noticed you. But this is just the beginning. Because God doesn't just notice and seek us out. He engages us in a process. He engages us in a process. Uh, what I think is so helpful about this story is the example of the Ethiopian, of how he participates in that process of seeking God. Uh, if you're exploring spiritually, there are some great things to learn from this guy. Uh, for one, verse 30 says that he was reading the Bible and trying to figure it out. Uh, there are so many people who say that they are spiritually curious and they've never done this. They're interested in God, but they've never picked up a Bible. 
They'll, they'll read online. They'll browse in a bookstore. They'll, they'll pick up a, a nice deep thought from a movie or a, a song, and they'll kind of collect these things. But they've never actually picked up this book and seen for themselves what it has to say. Now, sometimes the reason for that is this is an intimidating book. It can, it can be hard to know where to start with this thing. Uh, if that's you, if you're in that situation, you've wanted to read the Bible, but you don't know how to begin, uh, we would recommend reading one of the biographies of Jesus. Uh, we recommend the book of Mark because it's the shortest one. Uh, you, can, you can get through it just reading a, uh, maybe five minutes a day, two weeks, you'd, you'd finish it. Uh, and if you are thinking, I'd like to do that, and you're like, I don't know where to find that book of Mark, um, we'd love to help you. So if you see anyone around here, if they're wearing a name tag, you can ask them, say, hey, Pastor Clayton said you could come and tell me, you know, how to find Mark. Can you show me? Um, they will do that. But the point is this, uh, don't meander around. If you're really seeking, pick up the source, pick up the Bible and see what it has to say. But, but here's the thing you're going to find. At some point, if you start reading the Bible, uh, you are going to be like this Ethiopian. Uh, he, he voiced something that so many of us feel the first time we pick up a Bible. Uh, Philip asked, do you understand what you're reading? And he says, how can I, unless someone explains this to me? It can be tough. So if you're spiritually exploring, don't do it alone. Now, reach out to someone who you know is a Christ follower and say, hey, look, I, I know you've got more experience with this than me, and I, I was just hoping I could maybe talk about this with you and see uh, how you, what you think about that. They would love to do that. And, and what I love here, too, is how, the, uh, how Philip was bold enough to ask a potentially awkward question and say, do you understand what you're reading? Because it opened the door for the Ethiopian to say, hey, come into this process with me. Uh, for some of you who are Christ followers here, I, I want to encourage you, do this with your friends. Do this with your family. Uh, have you ever asked them what they think about God? What questions they have about God? Uh, next year, we're actually going to be doing a, a sermon series about this. We're going to be talking about the big questions that people who are uh, spiritual explorers, who are not a part of a church, ask about God. And as we plan that, we don't want to just, you know, think up questions that we think might be interesting on our own. We actually want to find out the questions people are really asking. So this is what we want you to do. We want you to go out and ask a friend or a family member, hey, what questions do you have about God? My, my church said that I could submit these questions and they, they might talk about them sometime. What, what would you want to hear about? Uh, we actually think that uh, even if we can't cover the question they ask, it might be a great conversation starter for you to talk about something deeper, something more spiritual that's on their mind. If you want to submit a question, uh, the link for that is in your weekly welcome. It's ccclife.org slash questions. We'd love to hear what you think or what other people think. So the Ethiopian invites Philip into this process, uh, and that's really the most important thing he did. He, he wasn't too proud to admit that he needed help. He didn't have it all figured out. He, he sought someone who had more experience. Uh, he, some of you here, many of you here uh, at Christ Community know uh, Brendan Nelson. Uh, those of you at DeKalb, for sure you know Brendan Nelson. He is the worship pastor at the DeKalb campus. Well, earlier this year, uh, Brendan got married to his wife, Emily, and Emily has a brother named Sam. And uh, Brendan and Emily had been praying for Sam for a very long time, for a very long time. Uh, and, and last year, uh, in Sam's own words, if he would describe his life, he would say he was floating aimlessly through life, being pulled in so many different directions that he had lost sight of any kind of ground. Uh, but behind the scenes, God was working in Sam's life. And all of it came to a head at Brendan and Emily's wedding. Uh, Sam was watching the ceremony, and uh, when he, as he heard what was being said, and he saw what was being done, and he, he saw the love that Brendan and Emily had, something clicked in his mind. He, he had this sudden realization that Jesus was love incarnate. That, that's who God was. And he knew he wanted that. He needed that. But he wasn't quite sure how to get it. 
And so Sam, he looked for a chance to ask Brendan and Emily about it. And he actually found the, the perfect opportunity, the perfect moment. It was at the wedding reception. Uh, towards the end, Brendan and Emily are saying their goodbyes to people. Uh, right as they're about to head out to their wedding night when the only thing on their mind is how much they want to have a theological conversation about God, <laughs> Sam asked this question. Actually, what he did was he asked if he could pray for Brendan before they left. Uh, he, he didn't actually know if he could pray or how to pray, but he felt like, I, I'm looking for a way to connect spiritually here, so I'm going to do that. And as he was praying, he, he started saying things like, God, I, I know I need you in my life. I, I, I want you. And, and Brendan heard this and realized what was happening. And so he explained to Sam how he could begin a relationship with Jesus and how he could express his desire to be forgiven and his trust in Christ. And that's what happened right there at the end of the reception. Uh, what is so cool is this weekend, Sam is being baptized at our DeKalb campus, and Brendan is baptizing him. Isn't that amazing? So cool. But, but here's the point of the story. If you are spiritually exploring and you've got questions, do not be afraid to ask people for help. Be like the Ethiopian. Be like Sam. Uh, these spiritual matters are matters of life and death. And so even if it seems like it'd be inconvenient or awkward, just go ask the question. Engage in the conversation. Uh, the people that you approach will be so delighted to do that. But it can't stop with just conversation and discussion about spiritual things. Uh, like the Ethiopian, at some point, each of us has to hear the message of Jesus so that we can make our decision about it. And so we need to be told. We need to be told. Uh, after the eunuch asks about this passage in Isaiah, uh, verse 35 says this, Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. We were not told what Philip said to explain the good news of Jesus. Uh, the truth is there are lots of ways to explain the gospel. Uh, we have one way that we really like to use here at Christ Community Church, and I'd like to share that with you. Uh, in your weekly welcome, you got one of these, one of these blue and white books called God's Good News. Can you pull that out? Uh, I want to talk with you about this. Uh, I'm actually going to walk through this because this is a, a really simple tool that we like to use to kind of sum up, you know, the Bible is pretty complicated. We can get the big picture in a simple diagram so you can uh, understand what's going on. And the reason I want to walk through this right now is for those of you who are Christ followers, you might be thinking, I, I'd love to explain what I think to people around me, but I'm not sure I, you know, I can get my thoughts in order. This would be a great tool to help you do that. And the other reason is if you're here and you're feeling like that Ethiopian and you're like, I wish someone would just lay it all out for me so I understood what was going on, we want to do that. Um, and so we're going to walk through this today. Go ahead and open up to the first page. Here's the first thing you need to know. God created us to enjoy a personal relationship with him and a purposeful life. You, you see, this is the explanation for that deep longing in our life, that, that drive that makes us search and seek. We were made for God. We were made to know him. We were made to love him. God is love and he wants to, us to experience that. And he wants us to have purpose in our life. To, to join with him in filling the world with his love and his goodness. And, and this is the reason all of us crave intimacy and crave meaning. Because we were made for a relationship with God and a purposeful life. But, but the big question is this. Uh, how come we don't experience that? Well, why don't we have that kind of closeness with God? Deep down, what is actually wrong with the world? Have you ever asked that question? What, what is actually wrong with the world and what is wrong with me? Here's what the Bible says is wrong. Turn to the next page. Our sin separates us from God. Now, sin is a funny word. It's the kind of word that you pretty much only use in church. So let me give you a basic definition of sin. Sin is disobeying God 
by going our own way and living for ourselves. All of us have done this. The the passage right before the one that Ethiopian was reading uh, says this, we all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way. Sin is saying to God, nope, nope, I don't want you to be the center of my life. I'm going to build my life around me. It's saying, God, I, I don't want you to be the leader of my life. I, I want to set my own direction and course. It's saying, uh, God, I don't need you to be the source of life and joy in, in my life. I'm going to find those things for myself. And when we say to God, God, I don't need you, I don't want you, you know what God says to us? Okay, have what you want. With tears in his eyes, he says, go and see how that works for you. He, he gives us what we ask for, a life without him. Our sin cuts us off from God. And that's a problem because God is the giver of life. And so when we disconnect from God, you know what the results are? Death. Spiritual death. Physical death. And if nothing is done to stop it, eternal death. We are in trouble. So the question is, what what do we do about that? How do we respond to this chasm between us and God? Look at the next page. People respond to this separation from God in a variety of ways. Uh, some of us, we just deny the problem. We say, sinner, what are you talking about? I, I, I'm not a sinner. Like, I'm, you know, I'm not perfect or anything, but I'm a, I'm a pretty good person, you know? So if you're thinking that, I just want to have a, a moment of just honest, real talk. Like, really? Are you really that good of a person? Because you got to remember, when we say sin, we're not talking about something dramatic, it's a bold acts of evil, you know? Sin is more of a, a mindset. It comes out in all sorts of ordinary ways. Think of it this way. Uh, what if we just took uh, some of the big sins, you know, like from the top 10 list of sins, the 10 commandment, you know, it, it should be easy for basically good people to, you know, clear the bar on the big ones, even if, you know, we get some of the small ones wrong. So let's start with some of the, the famous ones. You shall not steal. Anybody here who has never stolen, never taken something that didn't belong to you, a, a possession or credit or, or anything like that. All of us have done that at some point. Uh, you shall not lie. Let's all raise our hand. If you have not lied, go ahead and raise your hand. This is your chance to commit the sin. Do it. Do it. Shouldn't tempt you in church. It's not, not a good thing. What about honor your father and mother? Any of you ever been a teenager before? Uh, how about this one? The, the big one, the, the really easy one. You shall not kill. Here's the thing. I got to give you a, a little condition on this. Jesus said that a person who hates another person or someone who calls someone a fool in anger has committed the sin of murder in their heart. And since this was an election year, I'm pretty sure no one has called someone a fool in anger, okay? What about coveting? Envying the things that someone else has. I'm sure that's never happened. What about the big one, the, the, the very first one? That you shall have no other gods before me. If any of you put something other than God first in your life. Here's the reality. Our sin may not be flashy or shocking, but each and every day in thousands of little ways, you and I add to the poison that is killing our world. We are part of the problem. And so that's why the Bible says, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Other people, they just ignore the chasm between them and God. By pouring themselves into something else. So we, we give ourselves to our careers and our possessions and relationships and pleasures. And that's how we end up being workaholics and alcoholics and people pleasers and perfectionists. 
And it just enslaves us because whatever we look to for that satisfaction, it just demands more and more and delivers less and less. Others of us, we look at the chasm, we think we're going to bridge that by doing some good deeds. You know, I'm going to live a moral life. I'm going to go to church. I'm going to do what's right. You know, you're thinking if I could just, you know, do enough good, it'll kind of tip the scales in my favor and God will accept me, right? But the Bible is clear. There, there is nothing, no amount of good deeds that can make up for the wrong that we've done. It just isn't possible. The, the chasm between us and God is not like a sidewalk crack. You can't just step over it. it it's the Grand Canyon. Uh, she, she, it doesn't matter if you can jump farther than another person. You could be an Olympic long jumper and you are never going to make it across. It's just not possible. Good deeds cannot bridge the gap. So here's the question. What actually can be done about our separation from God? What can we do to bridge the separation? The answer may surprise you. The answer is nothing. There's nothing we can do to bridge that separation. It is not actually our job to bridge that gap. That is God's job, and he can do the impossible. Look at the next page. God bridged our separation through his son, Jesus. This is the good news. This is incredible. God did not stay up in heaven, kind of aloof in distance and saying, yeah, you guys better figure out your own problems down there. No, he he didn't stay on one side of the chasm and say, hey, keep trying harder. Maybe eventually you'll get to me. You'll find a way. You you figure it out. No, he said, I'm going to come to you. I'm going to cross from my side to your side. Uh, God came to earth in the person of Jesus. Jesus was fully human, and he stood in solidarity with us. He he volunteered and said, I'm going to be their representative. I'll take on their problems. I will take responsibility for their actions. I will pay the price. And at the same time, Jesus was fully God, which means that he had the infinite wealth and power and goodness and glory of heaven. So he wasn't just taking responsibility for our problems. He actually had the resources to deal with it. It's sort of like a man with an incredible debt marrying a woman with incredible wealth. She wasn't the one who incurred the debt, and he wasn't the one who earned the money. But when they get married, his debt becomes hers, and her wealth becomes his. Jesus is saying, I will pay your debt. I will take your punishment. I will suffer the consequences of your actions. And so that's what he does. That's the meaning of this whole cross thing. When he goes to the cross and he dies... He suffers our penalty. He takes that separation from God that we deserve, that death that we had earned. And as he takes it, he pays sin's penalty on our behalf. But that's not the end of the story. Uh, Three days after Jesus was executed, he rose from the dead. He, He not only faced death, he went through death and came out on the other side as the victor. He emptied sin and death of their power, and now he invites us into his victory. Jesus has purchased everything we need to be reunited with God. So how do we get access to that? How do we embrace that? If God has built the bridge, how do we cross it to get back to him? Well, look at the next page. We must put our faith in Jesus, the Savior and King. Only Jesus can restore a relationship with God. And only our faith, not our efforts, not our works, can connect us with Jesus. Here's how the Bible puts it. It is by grace you have been saved, through faith. And it is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. Here's what we mean when we say faith. Look at the next page. Genuine faith is a whole person response to God's good news. Faith involves our mind, it involves our heart and our will. 
And faith means acknowledging certain facts are true. We, we say Jesus actually is the Son of God. I actually am a sinner and I cannot save myself. Jesus' death and resurrection uh, paid for my sin and proved his power over, over sin and death. Faith means acknowledging those things. But faith also means turning away from sin, renouncing all of those dead ends that we had pursued for life and joy and happiness without God. And embracing Jesus and saying, he's the one who will satisfy. He's the one who's more desirable. He is better than the sin that I had been pursuing. And faith means surrender. It means acknowledging Jesus is our king, trusting him enough to let him lead and guide our life. It's bowing the knee to him and letting him take charge. This is how the Bible describes that surrender. If you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. This, this is the good news. God loves you. He absolutely loves you. And even though you have been running away from him, he has been chasing after you, seeking you, pursuing you. He is relentlessly hunting you down. And you know what faith is? Faith is stopping in your tracks and saying, I want to be found. There on that road, as Philip shared this good news, the Ethiopian said, I want to be found. Each person who was baptized today, they had stopped and said, I want to be found. And so the question I have for you is, do you want to be found? Uh, turn the page and, and or look at the other side of the page and look at that diagram of the bridge. Uh, where are you on this diagram? Uh, many of us here are on the, the right side of that bridge. You, you've put your faith in Jesus. You're taking steps to grow in him, and that is wonderful. Others of you are on the, the far left side. You, you haven't put your faith in Jesus, and you're not really interested. If you're in that situation, here's the, the one thing I would ask. I would ask you to answer the question, Why? Like maybe what you should do is go through this book and, and see the things that Christians say and identify which part of this is the hang-up for you. Which thing do you say, no, I can't buy this, or I, I don't get this, or this stands in the way for me. And just, just articulate what it is that, that is keeping you from seeking God and maybe look for ways to answer that question. But I also know some of you here are standing right next to the bridge. You're that person right there on the edge and you're thinking, I, I think I want this. I think I need this. I think I'm ready to do this. And you want to take that first step across the bridge in trusting Jesus. You're, you're not running anymore. You want to be found. If this is you, we want to help you take that next step. Uh, we, the way we want to do that is by providing you with a prayer to pray. It's on the, the next page. There's nothing uh, magical about the words of this prayer. Uh, but we do know that when people are trying to express this first step, they don't always know the words to, to say. And so we've put down some words that will express this. And in just a moment, I'm going to pray through this prayer. And I'm going to stop every couple of sentences and let you echo that prayer for yourself. Not out loud, uh, but just in your heart and mind to God, expressing what you want from him. So if that's you, let's do that together. Let's pray. God, I recognize that you created me to enjoy a personal relationship with you and a purposeful life. God, my sin has separated me from you. I cannot do anything to repair the damage done by my sin. I am in need of forgiveness and new life. I believe Jesus died on the cross and rose from the dead to pay sin's penalty and break sin's power. By faith, 
I surrender to you as my Savior and King. I want to obediently follow you. Please forgive my sins. Give me the gift of eternal life and send your spirit to help me become more and more like Jesus. Jesus, we want to thank you. We want to thank you, thank you, thank you for each person here who's just prayed that prayer, who's put their faith in you for the first time today. Because of your, your great love and your grace from this moment on, they will never be the same. Thank you that all their sins are forgiven. Thank you that your spirit has entered them. Thank you that they are part of your family. And thank you that they will spend all eternity with you because of your death and resurrection. You are good, Jesus. And it is in your name we pray. Amen.